I'll leave that on for some mood music, eh? I'll leave that on for some mood, <laughs> some mood, some mood music. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. So, I just finished the old uh, God Blight today, Mom moments ago, in fact. So, I figured I'd give you my first impressions. Um, I would say, as a book, say if I thought Devastation of Baal, and I think most of us would agree, Devastation of Baal is probably one of the best books that's been released over the last, I don't know, three, four years. It's one of the best books, you know. Obviously, all of the Fabius Bile books are amazing and on the same level for different reasons. But the uh, Devastation of Bile is probably, in my eyes, the best book Guy Haley's done. And I'd say it's, you know, a nine, nine and a half, ten. You know, it's that, it's that level for me, right? Then, oh yeah, so anybody watching, we're going to go into spoilers here massively, alright? For various books probably, depending on how much I uh, waddle around subject matter. So, <clears throat> should I turn that music off? It's actually mildly annoying, isn't it? There we go, okay. That's why I don't do that very often. I get annoyed with it because I can hear it. Anyway, <clears throat> God Blight for me is a seven, right? A seven, an eight. That's not to say I don't like it. I don't think it's a well-put-together book. I just... It's not on that peak level of, of Guy Haley. It's not peak Guy Haley, all right? Now, I thought this book was great. I thought it was a, a nice completion of the end. Um, but much like the last book I read from Guy Haley, the uh, the one with the blood, the, the, the sequel to Devastation of Baal, I feel like it lacked a certain amount of energy. And I understand why. Because we've had this retcon. And to those of you who sent me notes, I've had a bunch of messages from you guys in Discord. And a bunch of um, emails as well, in fact. And Facebook messages. Um, that I just haven't actually looked at properly or read. I apologise. I've just been very busy. I can't, I can't look at them yet. I will look at them because some people have sent me screenshots. And thank you to you guys who have. I just haven't been able to throw the energy into doing this yet. So those are, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get in touch with you guys as and when I can. Um, which may be this weekend, I'll have a proper route through, because I've got loads of messages, it's insane. Um, I mean, I appreciate it, but I'm really, really lazy, and also busy, so it's like the worst possible <laughs> combination. So, and I get distracted easy. So, I'd, I'm not aware of any kind of drastic things that have occurred in the retcons to the new books. For those of you who don't know, the two previous books have been retconned. He's made alterations in them. To put it briefly, he's made alterations in the two existing books in the Dark Imperium series uh, in order to make them fit more thoroughly with the timeline of events as they've unfolded since they launched this new edition of the game and uh, the fall of Cadia and whatnot. And um, without going too deep into all that thing, a number of things were off. Um, they didn't quite make sense. And this book definitely addresses that in a very fan service way. Now I'm, I'm happy with the fan serviceness, but there were one or two things that made me like I was like, oh, come on, it's, it was a bit too on the nose. You get me from guy. Some of the things were a bit too like, ah, oh, come on, you know what I mean? Like, come on, you don't you don't need to do that. But it was fine. But for instance, like the the inclusion of the silver templars for no real reason, really. They were just put in there. Now, that's fan service. That's fan service for all the people who are fans of them, who played that, uh, who collected that, that that game magazine thing where they used to give away the models, you know. Uh, you know the thing I'm talking about. Was it chap? Something. I can't remember what it's called. But you buy the magazine, you get a free model with it, and it was a cheap way of getting a Space Marine army. It's a bit of a throwaway thing for them. 
Uh, it's a little thing that's meant to make you go, oh, I remember them, which is fine, which is fine. But there was a couple of things, like the whole thing with Calgar and Vigilus. That kind of element didn't really need to be included in the book. I understand why he's done it, because he kind of set things up in the previous books that kind of got messed up by things that occurred with Vigilus campaign and everything, like odd things, like why has this happened? Why has that happened? <clears throat> First spoiler, it's all propaganda for the God Emperor. It is. Well, I mean, everything is at the end of the day, depending on a per- from a certain point of view. Conquest. Conquest, yes. Conquest magazine. So they're included in it, just briefly, just enough for ma- to make you go, ah! Oh! Um, but they don't really do anything. They're just there in this one scene. Um... Yeah, we can. I, I, I want you to definitely in the comments let me know um, if there's anything you want me to discuss because I've just finished it now, so it's dead fresh in my mind. But I might forget things. So if there's anything you particularly want me to discuss, an element of the book you want me to discuss, if I don't mention it, do let me know in the comments. I'm looking at the comments now. I'll, I'll happily go over something. And maybe you've got a different opinion on me uh, on some things. Um, so this is just a quick kind of. You know, first reactions. But yeah, let me know in the comments. I'm happy to. I'm happy to um, talk about any section of the book that you think was interesting. Are we about to have some spoiler memes? Well, hopefully. Mm. So, what's the best way to talk about this? The most interesting things. Okay, so to put briefly, for those of you who don't know, this might. This might conjure some things in your minds if you have read the book and you want me to talk about anything. So this follows on from the second book and it's the plague wars that are going on. Now, with this changed timeline of events, the plague wars are occurring before the end of the Indomitus Crusade and they appear to sync up perfectly, I think, with uh, this ongoing Indomitus Crusade book series that they've started, which I haven't read yet. Um, there's two books there. I don't know how Guy, Daly, Guy Haley does this. He just churns the books out, man. And they're always like amazing standard. There's no book he reads that are bad, you know? It's just some of them, they've got a lot more going on than others. That's my opinion. I think he's a fantastic writer. I love his work and I recommend you get these books, definitely. But, um, yeah, this one, it felt like it lost a bit of steam. It felt like it was it was lacking something that, say, like Devastation of Baal had, um, that the Chris Rates sort of Vaults of Terror books have had, like they're, you know, you, you feel a drumbeat, it's moving towards something. This is just sort of closing off a chapter of um, the law. And like, in a fairly dramatic manner, but not like in a world-changing thing. It's like, oh, Ultramars won. Okay. Um, the return of the, ro- of the Royal of royal Dawn. I'm very upset. When Mortarian gets sucked up. Yeah, fantastic. Um, okay, so, where was I? So the book is the follow-on for this. It's the it's the you know the attack on Ajax. Uh, a trap has been laid, at least from Mortarian's point of view, uh, and he's working with the uh, the demon prince, the demon, the greater demon. And <laughs> I can't remember his name, but the greater demon stuff is pretty funny. I enjoy that. Who's got a cold? Who's got Nurgle's cauldron, or at least some fraction of it? And that's an element. Again, I'm going to get sidetracked here. What I really, really like is the metaphysical stuff. In this book. Now, some people, I don't know, I have, maybe I'm overthinking this. If you enjoy that, how the warp works, how the demons work, how, the, how the, the logic of the universe works, how the laws of the universe work, such as they are, um, 
there's a lot of little metaphysical things in here. Like for one moment, the greater demon, the main greater demon. What's his name now? I forgot his name. Gurgoth? I forgot his name. Tell me, chat, what his name is. But the main greater demon, dude. The first, the first, uh, the first favourite of Nurgle. The one who was a little snotling who fell into his cauldron. Gurgath! Yes, Gurgath. So, Gurgath! Gurgath! Um, Gurgath says an amazing thing. He's, 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 he's talking about, in the last book, one of his top lieutenants, one of his main guys, his bro. Uh, Gilliman killed him with the Emperor's sword. And unlike other demons, he, he didn't get exiled, he didn't get banished, he didn't get just thrown back into the warp, you know? And he has to stay there for like 666 years or 777 years, you know? Very numerology, you know, if you know your numerology, <laughs> you know, something like that. He's, he's got banished to the other, to the warp, you know? He can't come back for so many years. He's actually dead. The demon is dead. He's wiped out. And Kurgath puts it like, he was. he's really sad about this, because he liked him, he was his, like his friend. Um, it's true death. But Kurgaf says he knew he would meet him again because time is eternal. But there would be no more new time made. And I thought that was like, wow, that's that's an amazing. I don't know whether you, I don't know. That, like, that's that's a great way of looking at um, time, and especially from a Nurgle point of view. Uh, you know, the endless cycle of birth and renewal, uh, the endless you know, turning of time. Uh, it's 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 a lovely sort of moment where he's just, you know, he's, he's saying he will see him again because they're demons. So time doesn't matter to them. So time is happening, all time is happening for them at the same amount of time. Even though they're in the present, the past exists and the future exists. That's the nature of demonhood. They are not in the real world. But that demon's dead now. So all he'll ever have with that demon is the, the times they've already had together, and there's no future for that demon. And I thought that was like pretty... I mean, that was pretty deep. You get me? That was a nice little deep throwaway line. So. Poor Septimus. Yes, poor Septimus. And I thought that was a great little moment. And the whole thing with the Nurgle demons, they're the most fun uh, of all the demons, and they're the most sort of relatable, I think. Uh, more than Zench. Even more than Slanesh, you know? Because... We've only, and none of us have really been in the Slaneshi mindset for more than like, you know, maybe half an hour. You know what I mean? And once you're done, you're done. At least I am anyway. I need to rest. So, yeah, at least Nurgoid's got a much more relatable, they're a much more relatable set of demons. Um, and though they are evil, it's not evil in the same way as, you know, like Zench just giggling and changing the fates of all. So, that was just a sidetrack. Sorry, that was like a, br a great moment. I also, before I go on, I'll talk about this because I forget otherwise. I also like the whole thing with the little, um, the little skitter demon that they had, who possessed the guy, the general in the um, in the briefing, and his view on the world and how he was birthed. Uh, that, that was an amazing. That's an amazing little character that they developed there. That was fantastic. So anyway, they're going to Ajax. Gilliman's going to Ajax with the Crusade. It's the final confrontation of this war that's been going on for a decade. Uh, I don't know if that's changed in the in the retcons of the new novels. I don't know. And again, I appreciate you guys sending me that stuff. I just haven't gone through it yet. So I don't know what's happened in the retcons. I don't know what, you know, I can guess based on what I've read and what, you know, I would assume he would have changed the problem areas. And and it leads up to this. Now, Kurgath is making, who's now the second, 
in, in Nurgle's favour, of course. Spoiler. He's making the God Blight. And this is a, a potion that will be able to kill a, a god. You know, it's so powerful. It will end demons. It will end anything it touches. <clears throat> and the plan is to use it on Gilliman. And Mortarion's gathering his legions in order to force the force the you know the confrontation where this god blight is going to be applied. And that's essentially what happens. And then Gilliman sort of overpowers it. He's possessed by the should I get straight into this? He's, he's possessed by the spirit of the Emperor. I don't know how to tackle this. I haven't thought about it at all. This is just my initial impressions, and I wanted to get to get you guys to give me some feedback, and I can see it in the chat later. Tattle Slug. Yeah, fantastic. The Tattle Slug. What a name for a demonic spy. I'm the Tattle Slug. <laughs> I, re I relate more to a fat slob than a sex pot. Yes. 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 And if you don't understand that well, Hung and Dung, I mean, that's just the gulf between us in our... In our Understanding the reality, you know. <laughs> so, Gilliman's uh, friends. Yeah, yeah, Riley June. I don't know where you're coming from, man. About as subtle as a punch on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what's the TLDR, TLDR review? Um, Gilliman beats Mortarian. Mortarian gets banished, and then Gilliman buggers off to do something else. That's essentially it. And Ultramar is saved, but a bit wrecked, because, like, Plague Zombies and, and Nurgle and that. That's the TLDR review. The Imperium wins, but it's costly. That's essentially it. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about... He was the last living son. Yes, Oh, Cobra Viper. Have my last 10. It's my last tenner after finding your channel. Getting me hooked on the law. Next thing I know, I'm at my local GW store buying an army. Doubt you, D GW giving you a commission. So <laughs> thank you, Cobra Viper. And I'm sorry to have done that to you, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have, uh, to have done that to you, dude. But thank you for the donation. I appreciate that, man. So, right. The main sort of big things in this novel are the things concerning the Emperor and Gilliman and his role in the things that are to come. But I want to go through the little bits, just a little bit. I'll do like a full review on this um, in the not-too-distant future, maybe next week or so. But I just wanted to get my thoughts out on this soon because I know people are talking about it and I can understand why there's a few sort of revelatory things and how they link up with things like, say, the Yellow King. I can see why people would be talking about that. Um... I don't know what people are saying, but I'll just go off my uh, my inter all. I, all I see is thumbnails. I've just seen some thumbnails from a certain imperial fist, uh, and I don't, you know I can see why he's talking about stuff because there is some quite revelatory sort of little little winks and nods um, to us from the authors, so from the author uh, and the other authors, of course. The emperor is the emperor, the emperor, the emperor. What is the emperor? That's the question. What is the Emperor? Uh, what is the Emperor? Who is the Emperor? What is he going to do? These are all questions that this book uh, evokes. I'll use all the big words because it's late, it's late at night. And I've had coffee. The Emperor 
is either dying or he's coming back to life. <laughs> we don't know. All right, I'll tell you what's going on. Right, let's look at this as part of a wider thing. We know the authors are working together more than they ever used to do. This is a big tranche of the law that's occurring now in 40k this is a big area that they're expanding into a lot of stuff's going on a lot of novels are dealing with similar things we have chris Wright doing these things we have dan abnett doing these things we have now guy haley dealing with these things chris Wright has presented us with the idea that the um the golden throne is breaking down and one of his books concerns them you know getting so desperate so scared this is before the fall of the Cadian Gate, but they're getting so scared, so worried about what's going to happen if the, Gro- the Golden Throne breaks down. And remember, for you guys out there who haven't read these novels, the Golden Throne is not just a chair with some fancy psychic stuff on there. It is built into the very structure of Earth, right? It is a vast, vast machine. It is built of the, the, the most powerful dark sciences that the Emperor was able to reclaim or create himself after the age of strife it is everything it keeps the astronomical going it keeps the very it's 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 essential right it keeps the emperor alive but not only that it keeps the warp gate stuck keeps the webway portal stuck the eternity gate is eternally shut right is it the eternity gate whatever the one that's the portal to the hell realm to the, to the webway that's been taken over by demons, okay? It keeps it all going. If that breaks down, everything goes. Not just the Emperor dies, the machine breaks, and Earth, Terra, will be destroyed. It will be consumed from within by the demons at its core through this webway gate. Dan Abner is coming at it with the Yellow King side of things. Now, my... Theory on all that is that, well, the question is whether the Yellow King is Valdor, which I believe we all kind of believe he is. There's a possibility it's Rogaldorn. I don't know about that. I think that's, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. For one, this character appeared to have both of his hands, which of course we know that Rogaldorn does not. So that's, that's a big, that's a big clue. So... What I think is going on with Penitent is they're attempting that those those creatures they create, those warp entities, those priors who are half prior, half demonic, or priors that are able to uh, become uh, merged with warp energy and are basically kind of demons, but not really. I believe they are test subjects to act as vessel for, for someone becoming a vessel for the spirit of the emperor. That's my sort of little theory on this. And there's some other theories as well, but that's essentially my sort of main thing. But basically, there's a bunch... The Yellow King has got massive amount of power. He's got a massive amount of military forces. He's got all of these pariahs, which are very rare in the galaxy. And they've been experimenting with harnessing the powers of the warp and, um, and using those powers to possess or whatever... These uh, these pariahs, these um, untouchables. So there's that all going on. Now we have this, and what happens is this: is we get a number of conversations where Gilliman is starting to believe that the Emperor is a god. 
or at least delving into that, the possibility of it. We have an amazing conversation. The entire perpetual storyline is a fucking mess now. Yes, yes, I can imagine. I, I mean, I'm behind on heresy, but I can imagine it's it's become very cluttered. It was kind of a bit of an error getting him in there or having him so engaged. I reckon they should have just had John Grammaticus as a one-off character and then got rid of it, you know, and just concentrate, like, just as a little side sort of quest, an interesting side quest that would have kept you going. But they went full on with the perpetual thing, which I think was an error. I think was an error, if you look at it in the sort of broad sweep of things. But anyway, he has an amazing conversation with um, an Eldar Farseer who is working with him as part of his sort of psychic advisory council who's been sent by Eldred uh, Eldred Orthwan. Now, there's a story I did a reading of, you find it on the channel, um, where Gilliman and Eldred, Eldrad, form a kind of alliance. So, the craft world of Ulthwi is kind of uh, allied with the Imperium in a very loose way, at least directly through the Emperor. And to that end, they sent him a Farseer to advise, a powerful one. And this guy, he's a nice, it's a nice bit of character stuff. The guy's like super disgusted by humans and stuff, rightly so, you know. Say what you want about knife ears, but they are actually superior. Um, and they have a conversation about the nature of godhood. And this Eldar guy talks about the Eldar gods. And whether, and it's something that I've mentioned many times before. So I know a guy watches my channel, he's a big fan. Um, I've talked about this a number of times with you guys, and you've probably heard me rant about these things before. Like, what is a god? The nature of the god. We've seen a sort of similar thing happen with the Tao god recently. The, so the okay. So just to explain it in a much simpler way, in it from a different perspective, the Tao have a chaos god now, or at least a god uh, in the warp, and that god has been created because the Tao are not religious at all, at least not in a in the sense of actually believing in a, a deity. Um, you might the, the the greater good is there is their belief system, is their faith, is their, the thing that pushes their civilization forward, you know? The foundation of their sort of morality, everything. But because of the greater good, they have brought in a number, and, they've, and they're not very psychically active, of course. They are very, very, they have tiny, tiny souls, right? Tiny, tiny souls. Demons can't even see them sometimes, all right? Now, they brought in all these different races, the Crute, the Gavesi, the traitor humans, and a multitude of other lesser-known races, Vespids, and other ones that we don't really know much about. Lesser, sort of, small empires that humanity hasn't got around to wiping out. And this is all over the galaxy, this occurs, you know, there's, there's, there's aliens everywhere, you know. It's not just the, 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 the Xenos races that you see in the game. Uh, the idea is that the universe is full of, like, alien races. So the Tao have brought in a bunch of these guys. But because of the nature of the greater good, they have inculcated the belief in the greater good into these other races. Now, these other races, for instance, the humans, are very, very psychically attuned. Even the ones who haven't got psychic powers, they blaze in the warp and attract demons. But there's also power there because they generate power within the warp. Now, because of their beliefs... I'll get into this. We've, we've seen it a number of times. I'll, I'll try and bring up a few other examples. Because of their belief in the greater good, that has resulted in all of that belief swirling around in the warp 
and creating a god of the greater good within the warp, which is in the which has the appearance of the Tau, but isn't the Tau god of the greater good so much as the collected beliefs in the greater good forming this entity. Now, this entity has many arms, and in each arm it holds a sigil or a symbol that represents one of the, the main alien races within the Tau Empire. But it looks like a Tau, which I think is quite nice. It's quite symbolic. Um, it's got the visage of the Tau, but with it, it, it's, it's like it's gaining its power from these, from these icons that represent humanity, the Crute. All that sort of stuff, you know. It's it's like it's it's holding them in its hands as the, as its source of power. <clears throat> Orc greater good. Well, the orcs have got Gork and Mork, of course. That's their gods. Another example recently is the whole thing with um, Dante and Sanguinius, and um, all that that's going there. Is Dante going to return back to life? He exists because of the collective beliefs in him, because within the imperial cult, within imperial religion, um, the emperor and Sanguinius, Sanguinius a lesser one, but Sanguinius is not just like worshipped as a saint, as a primarch, as a saint, as a hero. He made one of the ultimate sacrifices. His sacrifice is wedded to the sort of belief in the emperor's ultimate sacrifice against Horus. Yeah. So I'd want to say it's like, he's like, to the to the uh, to the imperials, to the ecclesiarchy, to the imperial church, Sanguinius is like a martyred saint, uh, but like super uber powerful. He's he's worship he's worshipped way more than any of the primarchs. You know, he's literally worshipped as a as a as a saint, as saints are now today. If you want to look at something analogous, you know, what a minor deity in some religions, that sort of thing. But. Um, that's what Gilliman is going off now. Because he doesn't believe in this. He's a, he's a believer in the imperial truth still. Um, but as the years have gone on since he's been brought back to life, you can see him start to wonder. Uh, he understands the warp, but in a sort of scientific manner. But that's insane. That's insane. You can't understand the warp in the scientific manner. It is literally madness. You can't do that. So, so, he's now coming to the conclusion with everything he's seen, throughout these three novels anyway, and other things, he's seen miracles. He's seen the Emperor's will. He has stood before the Emperor, and we'll get into that in a moment. His mind is beginning to turn now, and the conversation he has with this Eldar Farseer is about the nature of Godhood. What is a God? And the Eldar guy, the reason I've just gone through and explained all that Tao shit and babbled on, the, ta the, the Eldar guy explains the same thing. He says, the Eldar gods, it's not clear whether they were created in the warp by the Eldar themselves, right? Their subconscious, their spirits reacting with the powers of the warp, or they were actually Eldar who became gods through people's belief in them. He also talks about the Catan. He, he, he talks about the Catan and says, or Sitan, however you want to say it, the Catan, about the fact that they are not, they are not uh, gods of the warp. 
You know, he talks about there's, there's other gods. There are other eviler things, older things than even they. And of course, he doesn't mention the old ones or anything, but, you know, we get that vibe. So this is where Gilliman's sort of mind is going, like, is the Emperor a god? Or is he becoming a god? Or is there... And I've said this, I said this fairly recently in the stream, I can't remember when, I remember thinking this, because I, I heard it in the... I was listening to the audiobook, and I was like, shit, I thought that. Um, what is the relationship between the Emperor's sort of spirit and his actual physical body? Now, in the older law, in a number of books, we've had it hinted at that the Emperor, um, the Jack Draco series, I think it is, like one of the original sort of 40k novel series that you can't get now. Um, in the original law, it was that um, Jack Draco uh, goes to the Emperor's throne room. And we see that the Emperor's mind has been shattered. And it isn't that so much his wounds, it's, it's a combination of the wounds he's taken and the time that's gone by, and him spreading himself out across the universe, but also to preserve himself in some form. He has to, sh you know, the pain that he's in, he had to break himself apart. So some parts of him are in excruciating agony, but by detaching himself from him, you know, breaking up his mind like a, a diamond scattered into a million pieces, some shards of him are able to function. But because they are scattered, they're not able to function in a coherent way. And that's why some random guardsman on the battlefield may be filled with the light of the Emperor and be able to do things because one shard of the Emperor's spirit, his soul, in the warp, has managed to latch on to this person via their faith or whatever for some reason and imbued them with this power, this strength, this small sliver, this small shard of the Emperor's will. And that guardsman manages to do crazy things, you know, for the glory of the Emperor. Another time it might be, you know, he guides a spaceship out of a warp rift or something like that, you know. There's just these shards of the Emperor's beings spread out thinly across the galaxy, across the universe, across reality, able to interact and aid his followers. And obviously he's drawn to the ones who act as beacons within the warp. They would be acting as beacons, the ones who were so fervent, so religious, so desperate for help. And I like that as an idea. And that seems to be what they're kind of going for here. But then we get the whole scene where Gilliman... So Gilliman's uh, in a sort of contest of wills because he's been, a, he's been poisoned by this uh, god-like poison, shall we say. And he's in a contest of wills with Mortarian. And we get visions of... And he's discussed this in the other books. He talked about how he met the Emperor. I don't know if that's changed. Um, how, we, how he met the Emperor when he came back. And uh, the Emperor basically, like, psychically assaulted him and, uh, you know, said, you're my tool. Now, this version of events was a lot better. But anyway, I'm going to look at the chat because there's a lot of you fucking talking. So I just want to not ignore you. I'll go into this in a minute. We'll talk about what happens in the Emperor's throne room and what we, what we think's going on there. Stop chatting. God's sake. Okay. Didn't Dark Eldar fix it? No, they did not fix it. Um, that's the whole thing at the end of the book. No, he goes rogue and starts making, as Dark Eldar will do, he starts torturing people and, and, and making monsters. Because <laughs> he's a homunculus. What did you think was going to happen? 
He breaks free. Um, the Orcs believing the Emperor is strong. Keep him on. JD, that might seem ridiculous on the face of it to some people. That's probably more true there. JD here saying, the Orcs believing the Emperor is strong keeps him alive. There's actually truth in that. By this logic, by this, if we accept that these are the rules of the universe, this is how things function, which they clearly do. There might be some nuance, whatever. But uh, yeah, the Orcs' belief in the Emperor will grant him some power. That's how the warp works. Excellent point there, JD. Uh, Terra's world soul is connected to the Golden Throne. I believe so. I believe so. Uh, I, I mean, it's more It's more that there's a giant gate that leads to the... There's a webway portal at the bottom. That's what the gate holds. That's what the Golden Throne is. That's one of the things the Emperor is doing. He's keeping that gate to the uh, webway closed because it's... Because obviously, if, you, uh, if you've not read the heresy stuff that gateway was going to be his attempt to save humanity from using the warp by allowing humanity via terror, and perhaps other ones, if it worked, he'd do it other places, uh, basically to gain control of the webway and use that as their means of traveling the galaxy rather than going through the warp. And that's one of the reasons why the gods were so terrified of him. That's one of the reasons why the gods struck United, which they rarely do. As we get in this book, there's a lot of nice little interplay between what's going on there between the different gods. And there's a war of the gods starting now, which is convenient, isn't it? <laughs> so they, they, you know, they, they're uh, started fighting amongst themselves as chaos gods will do. And their servants obviously then will. Um, and there's stuff going on with Abaddon, but it's only briefly mentioned because I don't think they know what they're going to do with that yet. But um, yeah, he's keeping this gateway closed. That's part of his power is being used to keep this gateway closed because it's you know, a demonic invasion will spill through into terror. Anyway. Those priors can be used as a new canon for the upcoming Imperial Webway game. <laughs> yeah, Rebute knows. Logo one. Oh yeah, the librarian in the far seat. Yeah. I'm beginning to think my mother-in-law is a perpetual. Bam! Right in the kisser. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Illyrian Natasi is it? Yeah. Um, can the OP idiot who brought Daddy Ultrasmurf back have messed with his brain? Well, who knows? I don't think so. Logan needs to be the next Primarch to return, if only to say, fuck you, I was right to Gilliman. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's been mention of that. Um, but again, I don't know whether it's sort of a line like that. In the Apocalypse novel, uh, that's something that uh, Josh Reynolds mentions in there. The word bearers are preparing. There's word, basically, that Logan may be returning soon. Um the Eldar Gods, otherwise known as our delicious lords, all-you-can-eat buffet. Yes, yes. Terror literally swarms old bugbear. <laughs> um, okay. I think, that's, I think that's basically it. I mean, there's loads, lads. Sorry, I, I should have stayed on touch with that, but I wouldn't have got this far. Okay. This is also for me, just to get things straight in my head, what I'm thinking about this. Now this, um, now we have the Gilliman talking about seeing the Emperor, and it goes into a lot more detail than the previous version of those events did for us in the first novel, which is a great novel, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, how to say this. So...
going off what I was saying before, the Emperor's mind is shattered into different pieces. His, his consciousness has been broken into several different consciousnesses, yeah? This is kind of the vision that we get from Gilliman when he talks with him. And it's a meeting that takes days, but for Gilliman it's only moments, and he can't really remember it. It's more like things being shot into his mind, thoughts. But from the custodian who was with him, it's like he was having a conversation with the light. And no one has heard of the Emperor. You know, he hasn't spoken once. Um, and he calls him a number... To, he calls him his son, but he also calls him his tool. Which again would point to the whole thing of his, his different consciousnesses. Multiple different consciousnesses. Shards of the Emperor's consciousness existing at the same time. Because that's how you break up. You've got his loving side. If you want to call it that. Um, and then his, his practical side. Um, you know... As well, that, that all feeds into also the fact that in the old law, the emperor is, and I think this is what they're sticking with, right? Who is the emperor? The emperor is the reincarnation of all of the humanity's sorcerers, psychers, witch doctors, shamans, sorcerers, everything. They all committed mass ritual suicide and they all coalesced because they couldn't reincarnate anymore, right? It was getting harder to reincarnate. They all, if, if they just waited for Slanesh to be born, this all would have been solved. But uh, they did this, and they coalesced into a single entity, the Emperor, 10,000 years ago. Which might explain why they've shattered, because it's, it's, it's actually the souls of multiple different personalities. It's actually these individual souls that make up the Emperor's whole if you get me they've broken apart I think that's a nice interesting thing to way to think about it that's something that came to me but he uh, you know he says to him you know you're my last hope you're my last tool also like saying it's already over it doesn't matter and he Gilliman is shown a multitude of possible futures if he does do stuff if he doesn't do stuff you know everything and he's kind of just got to make sense of that now the, the sort of big 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 revelation comes at the end of the novel, or towards the end. And there's a couple of other things I mentioned as well, which I think are interesting sort of um, things that are going to pop up going forward in this sort of story arc. Um, we get told that the Emperor, by this priest, who's an annoying character, uh... Right, he's, he's fully imbued with the light of the Emperor. The Emperor acts through him. He destroys this cauldron. He banishes the demons. You know, he's, he's, the Emperor directly influencing the world, as he has done before with that child saint, which, if you think about it, was pretty messed up because he immolated that young child, yeah? He possessed her, and the power of him just immolated her, consumed her utterly. So it's not like... Nice, nice God, God, you know what I mean? It's not like a, the emperor is not like a, he might be benevolent, but he, you know, never get under the impression that he's a loving God. If he is a God. The emperor is coming back to life. This is what this priest tells him. He's coming back to life. And Gilliman's like, what? And he's saying, you know, he's coming back to life. And it's like, we have to sort of interpret what this priest says. And it's, it's, a, it's a big conundrum the, the authors have given us. And I do respect them for doing this kind of thing. It's funny. It's interesting. Um, Gilliman's like, well, if he's going to step off the... Why doesn't he step off the throne then? And um, rather than making me do his work. And the priest says, 
No, you have to act. You have to help him put the things in place he needs for him to rise again. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Particularly when we're living in a universe where the penitent thing is going on with the Yellow King. This is happening... I don't know. I don't know. I think that's happening a bit further. It's closer to this. That's the problem with that. Because in the timeline of events, and I know people can say, oh, you know, the warp and the universe is dead big, so time doesn't really matter. It does matter. Um, the, the, the Eisenhorn thing's happening like 300 years before all of this, you know? It's happening a long time before all this. So the completion of that story arc, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. Unless they sort of retcon the years to make it a line and make it a big sort of joined up thing. Um, it's going to be joined up, but whether it's actually going to do anything, I don't know. That's an interesting way thing to think about, though, because it is that's all happening a long time before the fall of Cadia, which you can use as a sort of solid line in the sand in terms of time and things that have gone on. So the Emperor's going to step down from his throne. The Emperor's coming back. Um, but we don't actually know what that means. Does that mean he's going to be reincarnated? Does it mean that the Emperor himself is coming back? Does it mean that this, the Emperor has merged with some kind of entity that exists within the warp um, that is the sort of collective belief of everybody and maybe it's joined with his actual soul, his spirit, his soul which is scattered around there uh, into all these different shards, different versions of himself. Are they all going to coalesce into one? That, there's a lot of different questions there. There's a lot of different questions there. One thousand a day. Yeah, one thousand a day. The Eldar Corp. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, I don't know what to make of this book because there's a lot of things you can take from it. But you see my problem here. So, what does that even mean? It's easy to say the Emperor's coming back, but what does that mean? Based on everything else we know. Based on the possibility that the Sanguinor is kind of like a, a proto-reincarnation of... Um, my, I mean, my thinking is that Dante and the Sanguinor are going to merge into some kind of reincarnation of Sanguinius. You know? In some kind of half-and-half half kind of way. Because um, I think the Sanguinor is um, a representation, an, an avatar of Sanguinius's spirit, I think. Um... Yeah, there's like there's there's too many questions, man. There's too many questions. But I just like I just thought I better I just thought I'd talk about these different things. I just I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. Maybe I'm overthinking it. <laughs> the Star Child is real now. Yeah, the Star Child side of things is that where we're going? I don't know. I don't know because saying the Emperor's coming back and you've got to put the pieces in place that can mean anything. Which is of course, which is of course the point of writing it like that. Of course. Rage Welder. Will I play the Horus Heresy Legion? Uh, not anytime soon. Maybe in the future. Sanguinor is the Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, it's definitely drawing on that for sure, yeah. If the Emperor successfully reincarnates, we'll owe back child support for all those years he's been missing out on action. Look, man, you don't have to pay child support if they don't find you. I know many, many fine gentlemen who have um, 
who have been doing quite well with uh, avoiding for a long time. <laughs> and they seem to get away with it. <laughs> uh, oh, actually, they don't even collect it anymore. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, it's, it's all based on agreement. You're supposed to make agreements now because the state doesn't want to get involved. Or at least they haven't got... Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Forget it. Um, Devastation of Baal. Last good book. Don't let the door hit you. Hey! There's no need for that. Thank you. Now he can shut up. <laughs> um, how long has this been out? It's about three weeks, probably. Um... Isn't that a group called the Illuminati? Is it the Illuminati? I forgot what it's called, actually, no. It, it's basically that, yeah. They're basically that, yeah. There's a shadowy group. Um, but yeah, there's lots of shadowy groups. Um, there's lots of shadowy groups within the Imperium, you know? The Silent King knows all... Well, this is it. What's going on with the Silent King? I mean, there's mentions of different gods, and we've, we've had mentions of them throughout sort of Horus Heresy stuff. Uh, most recently, I guess... One of the big things that's been revealed is that that race of uh, godlike creatures in the dark in the the lion Primark um, novel uh, that uh, the lion kills, which is pretty awesome. So yeah, I mean, yeah, the Illuminati with the sense. Uh, yeah, is it actually the Illuminati, or did they change it slightly so it wasn't quite so on the uh, the nose? Oh, there we go. Came came Astartes. Thank you, sir. Uh, if it's possible to become a god. Is it possible that Gork and Mork were originally two crocs stuck in the warp that are in constant battle with one another? Yeah, probably, probably, um, perhaps. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of mythologies you can make up for that. Um, you know, maybe maybe they were actually two... Maybe it's the orcs' collective beliefs in two old ones who were in conflict about what the croc should be, what the orcs should be, yeah? Um... And one was, you know, smart and cunning, and one was cunning and smart. Who knows? You know, it could be something like that, you know? It becomes mythologized, and they begin to actually represent orcs rather than, you know, their creators so much. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, orcs are just a biological weapon in the same way that, like, aliens are. And this is where you got to remember with orcs. The mushroom thing, they grow from mushrooms, from spores, and they, they have this set pattern of development. You know, first of all, you'll have the mushrooms, then you'll have the squigs, then you'll have the grots, then the orcs, then the orcs start to specialise as they grow in numbers, and then eventually they reach critical mass and go to war um, fully, you know. Uh, like like the aliens are, um, you know, you, you get this substance dropped on a planet, they begin to develop, you know, they, they infect people, they spread, they begin to develop a queen, and, you know, it's this evolution, it's this thing that's hardwired into them, like ants, you know, they'll always do the same thing. Bees, they'll always do the same thing. Um, the orcs are a biological weapon, you know, mushroom men. Do you know any books where the Necrons are fighting chaos? Yes, the uh, the uh, Word Bearers series. Uh, I think it's the second book in particular, um, the Necrons and the Word Bearers, and it's pretty awesome. Um, brutal cunning and brutal and cunning and cunning brutality. Ah, it's true. Um, Guy Haley is my favourite. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I think he's kind of running into a problem that he can't push the timeline forward enough. So he's got these books where he's made like big revelations, but they're not ready to push things forward enough. So he's kind of stuck in a bit of a 
he can't do too much. He can't push too far forward, you know, which is kind of one of the reasons why they're probably going back with Indomitus Crusade. But I think that was just to make sure everything was more fleshed out because they missed an opportunity by ending it, which I don't think was his fault. I think that's probably down to miscommunication with um, other parts. Uh, I think that's probably what caused that. The, the Materium God's opposite to the Immaterium God's. I mean, maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe it's like that, but I don't think it's as simple as that. I don't think it's as simple as that. That's my thinking. I think it's more... Because um, we get a lot of explanations about what the gods are from Gilliman's point of view with like the Imperial Truth, looking at it in a more scientific way to what everybody else looks at it with. And again, we get more of that, that Gilliman is... He's trying to force himself... He can't, he can't, he can't believe, he can't believe, he's stuck in this, he can't believe, you know, he's a, he's a fedora tipping, you know, um, Richard Dawkins fan, <laughs> and he's stuck like that, and I know where he's, I know where he's coming from, because you are stuck like that, but no, like seriously, he's, he's, he's got this, a very, he's got a very materialistic view on the universe, so even when he's confronted by these things, he has to interpret them, um, as you know, as as a lot of people do, he's he's got to interpret them as um, in this with the materialistic framework of the universe. Actually, I think the emperor. I, I think I like the emperor to die. Thank you, Space Wolf Blackmaid. Uh, scatter. Uh, we get an age of chaos and scattered mini imperiums. Uh, each more crazy and desperate than to last. Yeah, I mean that would that would be interesting. I mean, maybe we're going towards that sort of thing. Um, maybe we are going towards that sort of thing. That would be interesting. It would definitely be interesting, dude. Thank you for the donation, man. I mean, maybe the emperor is got to die. Maybe that's 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 part of the plan. Maybe that's part of the plan. Um, these chess pieces that he's been moving around. He's playing. He's playing seventy-two D chess. You know. I think we need to wait five more years. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, before we get any further. Um, consortium forces under Fabius Bile also fight Necrons in his second book. Yes, Andy Lucas, that's true. Fabius Bile also fights Necrons, that's true. Um, how is Talon and Horus going to end uh, before or after Assault on Terror? Uh, Talon and Horus? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Um, wait, is that, the, um, is that the third back region, Brooke? Or, or is that the heresy one? I forget. Uh, the Sanguinor thing is my my own theory, but in some novel, it is said that if Mephiston became a vessel for the Black Angel, the Blood Angels wouldn't suffer from the Black Rage anymore. Rambo, yeah, I mean, there's a whole thing going on there with Mephisto and what the um, I believe that the, the the red and the blue and the Black Angel are are um, representations of the Blood Angels' spiritual beliefs. That's it, really. At Prince, assuming... Now, Hammond Spud, I would normally agree with you, but they have definitely started working together more the last year or two. They have definitely started working together more. You can see it in the way they're writing the stories, at least on the bigger things. You can see how they're joining up the different bits of lore, and I like that. I really enjoy it. Um, the Chris Wright series, Dan Abnett series, Guy Haley's stuff, a couple of the other authors... They are aligning themselves together to create a much more of a sort of lattice work of a, of a story, you know? I think so. Definitely before, they weren't, and that's why we ran into problems. Oh, Super Chat, sorry. Uh, Brian Presgrove. 
Are there any new Warrior chapters that may be rumoured to appear since uh, current ones are so old and established? Warrior chapters? I don't know what you mean, man. I mean, they're all Warrior chapters. What do you mean? We've like a sort of Warrior aesthetic? Um, I mean, you know, there's the Sons of uh, Spears of the Emperor. They've appeared recently. Look into them. Um, I did a video on them. Um, no, in terms of Warrior ones, I don't know. I mean, if you want to let me know in the comments. Oh, okay. What's go- uh, the war? The war? I prefer my theory that the Emperor has actually fixed the human webway. After all, it is possible he had the resurrected Iron Hands Primarch and Rogal Dawn to help him do it. <laughs> There's no resurrected Iron Hands, dude. He's just a, he's a, he's an, he's a skull. That's all he is. He's a skull. And his spirit sometimes pops up now and again. No one's worshipping Ferris. <laughs> Thank you for the donations, dude. I appreciate it. Also, it would explain why suddenly the custodies are going out into the galaxy to apply their forces. Basically, it's going to the point to where the Golden Throne isn't needed anymore. Now, that is a possibility. There might be that thinking there. Um, we haven't. We're waiting for the next sort of um, books from Chris Wright, you know, the Vaults of Terror series and so on, to see what the sort of end point of that is, what's actually happened. But, dude, thank you for the donations, man. I appreciate that. Um, Basically, it's the point where uh, the Golden Throne isn't needed anymore. That's true. I mean, that's that, that that's kind of something that's kind of mentioned in the story in uh, in Godblight. Like he's going to leave that, you know. And um, when he when Gilliman's talking to him, we get an idea of the creaking, sort of breaking down nature of the machines, which we've seen in other novels, of course. But I do recommend those Chris Wright novels, The Vaults of Terror and The Watchers of the Throne. Essential reading if you want to understand this, and it's all connected. Oh, Cameron Astartes, uh, I wish they. I wish they could push forward like they do with Age of Sigma. Most don't mention that game in my chat again. I'll ban you. <laughs> but no, no. I pre- thank you, for, thank you for the donation, sir. But I know what you mean. But they've got a lot more freedom in um, Age of Sigma, and they can take a lot more risks with Age of Sigma, as far as I understand. And just because it's a newer sort of, it's a newer entity. You know, they can do more with it. They can take more risks. They can play around more. Um, 40k they've got to be careful with because if they mess it up they messed it up and that's like 40k is the thing alright Games Workshop revolves around 40k everything else is kind of just a bonus you got to remember this so they're always going to be very very careful not to mess about with that what else did you say more stories about the gods both chaos and order uh, i.e. Uh, Enid or Enid or however you say it the tower god some of those supposedly minor chaos gods barely spoken about. I think that's what we're going to get to soon. I think they're going to slow down with progressing the timeline once this whole Indomitus thing is is, is done, is uh, set with. And we're going to delve more into the sort of minor things. But the minor things are important because they, they're, they're part of the foundation of the universe that really hold up all the big things and add interest, add interest, you know, interesting elements. Um, you know, that's the way you get more interesting characters in there. That's where you add more depth and jeopardy to the bigger things. Mm. where's Fiji childish in- uh, uh, I wouldn't go that far I mean it's all toy soldiers at the end of the day you know what I mean but yeah I'm not a big fan of Age of Sigma I don't I don't care for it myself I don't I don't get nothing from it I'm still I'm still butthurt about fantasy yeah I'm still I'm still a wounded fanboy I cry at night about this uh, imagine how effed up the Empire with the main mid fleet the Tyranid fleet you mean yeah, the Tyranids are mentioned in this as well. Um, this feels like a wrapping up of the story arcs, basically. And then we're going to get to a bit of a standstill in the timeline. 
And then I think it's going to be, as as was mentioned there, shorter, smaller things, that sort of thing. Um, you know, not smaller, like not important, but like um, the the smaller storylines, the, 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 the drop down on different things, you know, different chapters and stuff. We're going to go more into that probably for a year or two. Uh, but Indomitus has got to end first because then, of course, once Harris is ended as well, we're definitely going to move into, and I think this will be an area which will link up with where we are now. Um, the Great Scouring, the Primarchs disappearing. Now, that's the thing that's, that got mentioned as well. Gilliman thinks that all the uh, other Primarchs are dead. Of course, he doesn't know about the Crow who's knocking about in the warp hunting Lorgar. He doesn't know this. We know this. He doesn't know this. He doesn't know that Korax is still alive and in the warp. Um, because history's so modelled, because 10,000 years have gone by, he, he basically interprets all of the stories of the Primarchs leaving and disappearing as, as myths, as myths. He can't make sense of them. He doesn't know what's happened to them. But, you know, maybe Rogal Dawn will come back. I think they will. I don't think any of them are dead. I think they've gone. And I think... But it's, it's also the thing of then, it's like, well... Are you telling me the warp was able to control these guys? And, you know, if they come back one at a time, it's like, okay, so why was he more powerful than him? We have the whole thing going on with um, Luther, uh, which I'll talk about another time. Um, I'll get into, I'll talk about the Luther thing another time and the implications that that brings to uh, Lionel Johnson. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're all going to come back, basically. Any of, except for the ones that are confirmed dead. And even then, I reckon they'll bring back Sanguinius because you've got to. You know, but he will come back as sort of like a reincarnated avatar, and it'll be like Dante getting possessed by the spirits of Sanguinius. Dawn is so boring now. Well, I don't know. I think that's that's why the great scaring will be done because he goes crazy. Yeah, he goes loopy. He goes mental, and that's the dawn I want to see. I want to see a dawn off the chain, bloodthirsty. That's what I want to see. No more reserve. No more stoicism. No more nothing. He's just, I want to kill them all! And he just goes crazy. And that's what leads to the Iron Cage, which finally breaks his mind. You know, he's gone too far. He's broken his mind. Um, yeah, that's a whole sort of story arc that I'm, I'm, I can't wait to read. That'll be fantastic. And uh, Perturaba and everything will be involved in that. But yeah, that's 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 sort of where we're going now with like Warhammer lore and stuff. It's going to be the end of the heresy. And there's going to be... I get the impression that they're going to slightly change things from how we're actually... They're going to subvert our expectations. Hopefully not too much. Um, and I think Dan Abnett's going to write it, so it'll probably be all right. Um, whatever they do, it'll kind of be like... It should be pretty cool. But obviously, he's working on stuff set in the future. All the other guys are working on stuff set in the future. So I think it's all going to be interlinked. And them ending the heresy, them wrapping up the heresy, and then going into the great scaring period whether it's like the heresy, a continuing sort of narrative, or whether it's sort of like, you know, following Dawn during the Great Scaring, following Gilliman during the Great Scaring, following the other Primarchs during the Great Scaring, I don't know. That'll probably be a better approach. Um, I think each author will probably be given a Primarch, and I can't wait for Chris Wright to get um, Khan again. That'll be good. And I think, you know, Korak's... Um, Guy Haley did a fantastic, like underrated book that people haven't read. Many people haven't read is that um, that Korax Primark novel. That's a fantastic. That's I mean, that's up there for me, along with Devastation of Baal, as like Guy Haley's sort of best books. That Korax book was amazing. It might just be me, my personal tastes. I thought that was fantastic. It was a real 
vision uh, into Korax and making him like a really interesting character in a way that I don't think any other author has been able to do um, in the Heresy series up to that point. Um, I love Korax now. I think he's great. Oh, okay, see you later, Alavi. Uh, Dawn is a beast. Uh, do you want to do you want to see Purty breaking Dawn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the last few Siege of Terror books have done a lot for Dawn, of course. Yeah, and the reason people think he's boring is because he's just been building shit. Yeah, he's just been camping back at base, building building forts. You know, that's what he's been doing for the entire Heresy series, and he hasn't really done anything. That's the thing, you know. Um, he sent Sigismund out, you know, he sent the fleet out. He's been involved in a periphery way, but it's him walking into rooms and talking to the Sigilites every now and again. That's about the the sort of length and breadth of what we've got from Dawn. So the the Siege of Terror is really his moment to shine, literally, in his golden armour. I mean, obviously, obviously, there's a the whole thing with Alpharius, of course, you know, whatever. But um, in terms of what the other sort of Primarchs have got, the the time, the screen time they've got... Dawn hasn't had that much, and I think that's why he comes across as dull and boring. But then again, he's a stoic character, you know? You aren't, until he breaks, until he watches the Emperor fall, until he blames himself for not being there, until you get the Iron Cage, um, you're not going to see these extremes of his character, you know? He's going to maintain, you know, ice. He's going to be, he's going to stay frosty the whole time. Do you think... In Warhawk, people are going to notice Perty. As I imagine so, because I imagine Perty Robo is quite involved with the uh, logistical side of things. No, with uh, stuff coming off. You know, that's that's his that's his area. Um, you know, if I was Horus, who am I going to entrust with? You know, maintaining barrages and sieges and stuff like that. So it's going to be Perty Robo. You know, uh, the rest of them are sort of shock troops. Uh, Perty Robo is a siege master. Is uh, Rebooty going to travel to the other side of the rift? Well, he does. That's what happens in Devastation of Baal at the end of Devastation of Baal. And that's how things fit in with the timeline. Um, so in this book as well, there's a kind of a bit of... Ham- All right, let's talk about Kalgar, right? Let's talk about Kalgar. Oh, okay, hang on. Uh, war. I thought the Emperor already resurrected the Iron Hands Primarch in the webway with the Fool and the Vistvan Five. Or did they retcon that? I don't remember that. Um, like I say, I'm a bit behind on heresy, but I don't. I haven't heard anyone mention that. I could be wrong, Dewall, though. I, I, apologies if I am, but that's uh, that's a new one on me. I mean, maybe, but I mean, if he has, it's not like a full resurrection. That's for sure. Armagon is a potential loyalist Primarch. Potential, potential, but that's what he wants you to think. The scene in Saturnine with Dawn and Fulgrim on the wall is possibly the best bit of any heresy, any heresy novel to date, for my money. Well, I haven't seen, I haven't read that yet. Leave me alone. <laughs> but um, people are agreeing with you, dude. Anyway, let's talk Kalgar. So Kalgar, in this book, right, in the previous books, for no reason really, um, Gilliman, I think just to impose his authority on the situation and make sure everybody understands how things are, proper bitch slaps old Kalgar. You know, Double Fist McGee gets uh, stomped on in public and shamed. And in this book, um... In this book, but thank you, Dewar, thank you, man. In this book, uh, he kind of, um, I don't know why he's even mentioned in the book, to be honest. I know why, obviously, because there's the, uh, this, the, the historian who gets a copy of, from the, 
from the Library of Ptolemy, which of course burns down. You know, that's a nice little historical allusion to you there. Um, he gets the book about uh, Sanguinius's time as the emperor of uh, Imperium Secundus. For you her- heresy people, you'll understand this. And no one has heard of this. It's been wiped from history. But there is this one book in Gilliman's library that he wouldn't let him in. And uh, this this uh, historian dude gets it. So that's going to have big implications because this guy won't be able to shut up about it. And this is what the Nurgle guys are uh, laughing about, chortling like the big fat demons they are. Um, talking about, you know, the implications, the effects this is going to have on the Imperium. I think civil war is coming to the Imperium for multitude of reasons. Uh, you know, uh, there'll be religious war and... Uh, and uh, political revolt. We've already seen that, you know, the coup on terror that uh, was just put down. Uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of things happening now. And I'm looking forward to seeing civil war in the Imperium with all these different elements. I'm looking forward to the Inquisition sort of uh, doing more to oppose Gilliman's power grab. Uh, you know, we'll see how things work out with that. But that's a big thing. This historian getting a copy of that book, it's going to cause massive problems because it alters everybody's view on who Gilliman is. And that's one of the things... The uh, the emperor says to him, you know, um, the traitor. He calls Gilliman the traitor because of obviously what happened, you know, uh, and he was too late getting there because he was fucking around, you know, creating a second imperium because he can't help himself. Empire building, you know, he couldn't help himself. He should have struck at the heart of the enemy, but instead he decided to build two more bases, it, you know, and he lost. Then <laughs> he lost because the other the other players went straight for him. They rushed him. Anyway. Oh, well, I suppose he won. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway. Um, Calgar, it's mentioned a lot that he's going back to Vigilus. And that's why I know Guy Haley's a fan. How's it going, Guy? <laughs> I love your work, sir. Um, but he mentions a lot, which Vigilus is not mentioned. This is one of the things that I, 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 uh, I noted when the second book came out in the first book. The disconnect between... The law, the the law writers who were doing the who work for the GW Studio doing the campaigns and stuff like this, and the actual law that's going on with the model ranges and stuff like this, and the Black Library authors. Now they seem to be working together quite a lot. Um, but I think I felt like it was a bit too it was a bit too much. You mentioned Vigilus a lot, and it's like okay, okay, we get it, we get it. You, you you've you've spoken to each other this time before you've wrote your very you've written your various things. So I think there's probably going to be another Vigilus campaign coming up soon as well, unless. Um, well, anyway, the problem with Vigilus was, for some reason, Calgar was there. And it didn't make sense because he wasn't there in the novels. Now they've retconned it, I believe, those some, some of the changes that have happened. And also, in this novel, it's quite explicit that uh, Calgar's going to return to Vigilus. <laughs> so shut up about whinging that I did, you know, that that wasn't in the novels to start with. And there's a lot of stuff about the Astartes, yeah, the Primarchs, uh, the Primaris and... You know, I think the Primaris and Space Marine issue is gone now, for me at least. Um, they've done it in the best way they could, I guess. Uh, they could, If they'd started it differently, they would have got rid of any of the problems. I still think it's a bit weird that, you know, I think it's it's ruining the laws of the universe a little bit that, like, ultra-religious Space Marine chapters would accept the Primaris and not view them as a heresy, the Black Templars, for instance. I think that's a big no-no, but I guess that's where we are. We just have to accept that now. Mm. Oh, there is, isn't there? Sorry, Ivan. Sorry, and apologies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Sorry, when he's fighting Drachnian. Yeah, I remember now. Sorry, I apologise. Um, 
I apologise. And for those of you who don't know, the demon he fights in the webway is Abaddon the Despoiler's sword. The sword he has is possessed. Now, someone mentioned something about Perturabo can turn loyalist again. What I did want to talk about was the interesting moment when he's talking about Mortarian. So Mortarian displeases the grandfather. And the grandfather opens up a tiny little door in his, in his, in his mance um, on the pla- in, you know, on the plane of the plague planet or whatever. It's kind of like reality and unreality have merged together. Uh, that was also a nice scene when you see the, uh, the sort of uh, peasants knocking around um, through the ruined city. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty cool scene because for them it had been hundreds, of, like a hundred years, so they'd just survived and bred and stuff. The Imperials there, um, because the planet Ajax was almost subsumed within the warp. It almost had become a plague planet. That's another thing that's going on there. If they hadn't won here, Mortarian would have taken a most, if not all, of all of the Ultramar subsectors. Uh, you know, Ultramar Empire. The you know the whole area, the little kingdom that Gilliman had built. Um, into the warp and created sort of like within reality uh, a demonic realm within the reality. That that that's kind of what he was aiming to do, just for the just for the lols basically it seems just to you know give the finger to Gilliman. But um, he gets sucked back to um, the palace of Nurgle, where he's going to be punished for uh, messing up so badly. But there was thing where Gilliman says to him. Maybe one day, and this isn't verbatim, but he was essentially saying, maybe one day you can be saved. Maybe this, maybe one day you could be saved, but for now you've got to go back to your God, who's uh, worse than the God you betrayed. Something like that. And this is when Gilliman's filled with the light of the Emperor, the power of the Emperor, which has reached out and empowered him. So, yeah, interesting things there. The last time we saw Seth was in the anthology series, Bonus Story, where uh, Primaris loses himself to the rage, so they... Took that away from the Primaris, but now they can be, now they can be flesh terrors. Well, Sol, of course, we know that the, um, the uh, whatever tricks and alterations Belisarius Corps made to the uh, marine genetics doesn't hold for the space marine traits, which was another issue I had initially with the release of the Primaris because it wasn't clear. Um, in fact, it was kind of saying that it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. The um, the, the Primaris would not have any of the, the bad traits, which didn't make sense. It was like they were trying to make all the Marines uniform, uh, just with different coloured armour. But now, no, they've basically got all the... They've got all the bonuses of the uh, upgrade, but they've still got all of the um, uh, enhancements uh, or deficiencies, wherever you want to look at them, of the uh, the original Space Marine chapter's bloodlines. So Blood Angels still go black... Primaris guys still go black rage, and so on. And it's nice how he's done that because it wasn't clear, but he's he's done it within universe of explaining it. And I do like what they've done there with Yeah, Guy Haley's been really the fixer. He's fixed everything, you know? He's fixed everything. Originally they didn't. I know Sol, yeah, yeah. I think Guy Haley's basically fixed all the problems. Not in a perfect way. But I think as good as you could get, and that's what you need to celebrate with him. He's he's done it in a reasonably proficient manner. <laughs> Someone made a good point. Chaos characters are punished for intelligence and success. Loyalists are rewarded for failure and stupidity. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, 
The Alfarius Primark. I haven't read it yet. Um, it's on my list. This this jumped up the queue, and I've you know, I listened to this straight away instead. I've got the Alfarius one to listen to soon, so we'll see what I what I think about that. Uh, I don't know anything about it. I've avoided the spoilers, so spare me the Alfarius stuff. But um, I don't know, lads. I think that's probably all I got to say. Unless anyone had any questions, you want me to? So ah, Hammered Spud, my dude. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the new lighter. Thank you, man. Thank you, dude. I appreciate it. Um, but I'm not. I'm not paying a fiver for a lighter. I'll go to Poundland and get five for a pound. Thank you, though. <laughs> My lighter is getting low on flu. No, no, it's not. It's just the clicker. It's because I've got sweaty fingers. Uh, I'm going to go anyway, boys. Unless there's anything else you wanted me to discuss. Chaos characters as soon as interesting get murdered. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's why you should. Um, you should read the um, the Word Bearers series with Marduk. Is it Marduk? I forget. But yeah. Is this book worth it? Yeah, definitely. But you've got to read the other two first, you know? It's it's the third of a series. Apart from Fabius, he's great. Yeah, of course, Fabius. Fabius is... Uh, yeah, if you want to read any books. I mean, I like this. It's great. But uh, I fully recommend, as in all videos, I will always recommend Fabius Bile series. It's the best 40k series ever made. Better than anything in the heresy. Better than everything else, right? Everything else pales in comparison to the glory that is the Fabius Bile series. Everybody get it. Thoughts on Clone Fulgrim? Um, no thoughts. He's, uh, he's an exhibit. Ah, oh, thank you, Hamid Spud. I appreciate it anyway, dude. Yeah, no, nah, go through the whole thing. No! Screw you, Lucas. Um, Morty Forty Purty recently for a Templar Ascension made it uh, related to Morty being independent. Maybe. Don't forget Lucas the Trickster. Yes, of course, Lucas the Trickster is a, is a good one-off. We'll never get any more like that again, though. Lucas the Trickster is a golden one-off. One of the best Space Wolf novels ever made. Fabius is basically Space Mengel. No, 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 no. It's better than that. It's better than that. It's not just something blatant like that. It's, it's a really, it's a really heartfelt and touching tale, at least to me. It's deeper than that. It's really interesting. It's about, um, it's about sacrifice. It's about sacrifice. That series, Fabius Bile, is about sacrifice. Um, it's about finding a, a purpose in the universe. It's a deep book. It's a bit, you know, Josh Reynolds, great writer. Sorry if this is like spam. What do you mean? What about my boy Corax? Yeah. I can see Mortarian trying to escape Nurgle by putting a spin on it where Mortarian uses Aisha to escape. Yeah, I was expecting to get some Aisha mention with all the Nurgly stuff, to be honest, and Eldar involved. But we didn't get anything like that. I think they... Yeah, I don't think he wanted to touch that. Um, him becoming a Primarch of life. Maybe. Maybe it goes down that route. Maybe he's so punished. He's such a whipped dog. That he finds himself meeting Aisha in the, you know, uh, in her cage as her grandfather happily infects her over and over again with a multitude of diseases. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's coming. That would be an interesting thing. That'd be an interesting way out. If you're looking for ways out of how you could get Mortarian to do interesting stuff like that, that would be a way. Something like that, anyway. But Bar was a hardcore eugenesis. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he wasn't. It's not an interesting story. 
Fabulous Bill is fabulous. Bill is entirely fabulous. Yeah. Now, Fabius Bile is a, is a fantastic character, um, and the series itself is really deep. Um, like, his relationship with his daughter and his children, how he views them, um, how that grows and develops. It's it's a fantastic series. I mean, it's quality, you know. Obviously, you've got the cool shit with, you know, Clone Fall Grimm and all this sort of stuff going on there, the new men side of things. But, you know, if you want to look at it, like, that last book is very sort of, um, it's very deep in terms of, like, you know, that the whole conversation he has with Fulgrim about um, sacrificing his soul, what's left of it, and stuff like that. It's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, Erebus is a great cat. Erebus is completely true to himself. Hey, Callum, how's it going? Morty only knows death and not life. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um... I'm probably going to shoot off, boys. Uh, I've said be peace. I'll leave this up, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, get this. Read this series. It's very good. It's very entertaining. If you want to understand where the Imperium is now, read the Fabius Bar series because it's awesome. And if you want to know, like if you want to get a full picture of all of the events that are going on in the series, it'll be this series. Um, it'll be the two series that Chris Wright's got up going on. The um, Vaults of Terror and the Watchers of the Throne, those two series, essential reading, and also Penitent now, I think, although I think that, that definitely lines up, but um, I think they're going to use the Eisenhorn series to connect to this era, basically. I think it's a wasted opportunity if they don't, so I think Dan Abnett is definitely going to try and link what's going on in his stuff with the Eisenhorn verse to this sort of period. Yeah. But yeah, um, I'm going to go. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I hope I haven't rambled too much. Apologies for getting coffee at the start. But uh, yeah, I think I, I'll have, I'll have a, I'll, I might have another listen to this. I might have another listen to this and get something else from it. I don't know. Uh, but I'll probably do like a bigger review or talk about it again once I've had a think about it. But I just finished it like, like 10 minutes before I started the stream. So I wanted to just talk about it and unload, you know. Anyway, I'll be back very soon with more videos thank you fuck all these crossovers so no all the cross the crossovers are glorious as long as they don't cross over too blatantly i'm happy with it as like i want things to interconnect but i don't want like you know the characters popping up in each other's books i think that's pretty that'd be a bit lame i want you know a little bit of distance but um yeah oh and uh, the great work as well you need the great work in your life if you want to understand where things are with belisarius core which also massively intersects it's guy Haley as well you know obviously affects what's going on with this as well and obviously the devastation of Baal series um yeah i'm gonna go see you later Ta-ra.